Hi everyone, this is Red Sox historian Gordon Eads welcoming you to The View from the Monster Seeds, a historian's perspective. It's a podcast devoted to topics related to the history of one of America's enduring sports franchises. Batting fourth, one of the greatest clutch hitters of all time, entering the final season of his fabulous career, our beloved Big Poppy, designated hitter number 34, David Ortiz. This season's edition of the podcast will be dedicated to the final year of David Ortiz's remarkable career in a Red Sox uniform. We look at Ortiz, we know he's non-tendered. He hasn't been picked up after the first couple weeks. He's the, by far and away, the best player in the Dominican that year. He is a rock star and he has such a big heart. You will not be hearing from David himself, but from the many people whose lives have been impacted by or have impacted the man that Sox owners called the greatest clutch hitter the team has ever had. Swinging a high deep drive in the right field, that one scored to the right. Hunter on the move, racing back, it's over his head, it's gone, it's into the bullpen, this game is tied, this game is tied, David Ortiz, David Ortiz, David Ortiz. Our first podcast is an interview with Dave Jouse who was a Red Sox scout managing in the Dominican Republic in the winter of 2002 and 3, when Ortiz was a free agent, the Minnesota Twins electing not to tender him a contract. Dave, who is now the bench coach for the Pittsburgh Pirates, played a small but critical role in Ortiz signing with the Red Sox. Here's his story. Dave, at the time you were with the ball club, winter of 2003, prior to 2003 season, had you already been named advanced scout? Were you the club's advanced scout at that time? I was the advanced scout. I had taken over in the middle of 2002 as advanced scout and advanced in uh, 2000. I was going to advance for, for, uh, for Grady again in 2003. Okay. Now, at the winter meetings of 2002, when uh, the Twins non-tendered David. Uh, was there any discussion at that time uh, among the, the, the Red Sox baseball ops people to sign David Ortiz? In 2002, in December, um, David Jouse was down trying to get David Ortiz out four or five times a game when he was playing against my Lisey club as a manager. And my time reporting back to baseball ops was only when they asked certain questions. My connection with them during that offseason was very, very limited other than to take players and let them play for me. When all of a sudden they're thinking about players, they ask if they're playing in the Dominican, what do I got? That was it. So I I wasn't at winter meetings. I, I had no idea what our setup was, and uh, that's where I was. Okay, so then... Uh, we move into January. You're you're managing Lisey, and Theo gets in touch with you, and asks you to give him some. Well, let me have you tell it. You know, Theo gets in, in in touch with you. What was the conversation regarding Ortiz? Well, did actually our staff got in touch with our Lisey staff, where some were Red Sox, some were actually with other clubs. We look at Ortiz, we know he's non-tendered. He hasn't been picked up after the first couple weeks. He's the, by far and away, the best player in the Dominican that year. 
Um, I know him from the past. He played on my club that won the Caribbean Series in 1999, and he hit the game-winning hit. For um, Lisey, Dave? For, or, no, or another club? He was from Escajito. I won Lisey, and you take the best players oh, right. in the country okay, the Caribbean to go to the Caribbean yeah. Series, yeah. and he won Game 7 against uh, Newman in Puerto Rico, in Puerto Rico for the Dominican, um, the club that I had an uh, opportunity to manage in the Caribbean Series, and we won it. So I knew David... David from a long time, being in the other dugout in when he was in Minnesota, being in the other dugout when I was in Dominican, and then him being in our dugout in 99. He comes to me saying, you know, why, why am I not being signed yet while we're in the Dominican? Our staff with us in Lasse saying, well, geez, I'm going to tell my club, and the guy from Houston, I'm going to tell my club, and the guy from L.A., I mean the Angels, I'm going to tell my Well, I said, I'm going to tell my club. So we pass on. Because uh, there were a couple of us in Boston um, at that time with the Red Sox. And we pass on to Theo and Josh and uh, those guys. When you say Josh, you're talking about Josh Burns, Burns the assistant yeah, general manager. Who I dealt with more than, than Theo. Theo, okay. Um, and, uh, and Grady. And uh, we said, uh, hey, listen, we got to, you know, this, this, this is a guy that's going to be some kind of player. Um, he's on the verge of coming into his prime. Our park is perfect for him. He was trying to pull the ball too much in Minnesota. He was on turf. It was all sorts of things. Turf with his knee, trying to pull the ball in the baggy dome, um, and uh, being a little bit of a non-Minnesota prototypical player. They liked speed. They liked ball on the ground. They liked defense first. That was, you know, that was their style. So there was all sorts of things that screamed at us. And uh, and that was passed back and forth because, of course, Theo and Josh and Grady saw the same things. Um, so that's how we passed that on about David and uh, and David always saying, you know, I want to play for Boston. I want to play for the guys that you're with. And uh, he's, he said that for a long time, but he really meant it. He, 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 he was intrigued in Boston even at that time. Why do you suppose, Dave? What, what do you think he's kind of for the injury? The closest... And I say this this way, not the other way. The closest event to Dominican baseball is Fenway Park. Not Fenway Park to Dominican, because there's nothing more eventful than Dominican baseball, no matter if it's November, December, January. And so the closest thing is Fenway. You know, it, it, it's so striking that you say that this morning, because David, at his initial press conference in spring training this morning, reflecting on his last year in in uh, in a Red Sox uniform, last year as a big leaguer, uh, was talking about his connection to Boston. And that's what he said. He said the first time he walked in there, he said, this reminded me so much of home. And so what is it about the atmosphere in the Dominican that, that you see mirrored in some way uh, in Fenway Park? The energetic fervor, the passion for players and the game and winning um, is paramount in the Dominican, the fanaticism for your team, um, not just in the stadium, but as you walk the streets, as you're in the Colmado, as you're in the grocery store or whatever, and it's the same way in, in Boston. New England has that clicky atmosphere, and it's the same way about sports. Now, is it fair to say that Lise 
would be the closest equivalent to the Yankees and the Dominicans yes. because of their track record of yes. championships and all. How many championships did you win? Just one. Just the one. Okay. All right. So, so you get in touch with Josh and Theo and say, look, this guy, and he's playing for Escudillo at the time. Yeah, against me. I did, we didn't. I didn't. I didn't win the Caribbean Series that year. So he's playing against us, okay. and uh, we have to work him out. They said, well. They'd already signed Jeremy Giambi to be the everyday DH, but there's always room for more, and there's no question after the fact, but there was no question before the fact, a lot of us, that there was one player that was a lot better. Um, but there's always room. And uh, so there were some things that, that Boston's front office needed done because Ortiz had had a problem with knees before. They wanted me to work them out because if Giambi's going to DH, then there's got to be some maybe some time at first base for a guy to get at bats. DH some at bats, but got to play first base. So can the he play first base? For Giambi to play first base? Never. Okay. Never. Okay. So who was going to play first base? Millar. Millar. Okay. Who hadn't? The Red Sox had yet to sign him. They, they. It was in the works. I mean, that they they were already it discussions about trying to get him released from his contract with Chunichi. Yeah. Okay. So with David, the idea was, all right, so you had to work him out, one, to see if the knees were okay. Well, that's what that's what Boston wants, and they have okay. to. That's what your front office has to. However, David was playing the right side of Escajito's team that, that with Escajito was for Kyle at second and Ortiz at first. Okay. It's a pretty good right side. Yeah, yeah. And David played every day. And not only did he play every day, when you drove to the ballpark on the billboards, it wasn't Sammy Sosa and Pedro Martinez, and I love those guys. Right. It was David Ortiz with the cell phone. It was, the second guy was usually Jose Lima, and then it was Pedro and, 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 and Sammy Sosa and Juan Marichal, but it was David. He, yeah. was the, he was the face of Dominican baseball. He really wow. was. Played all the time. He'd already been in the big leagues. Yeah. Um, he, he, he played from the start to the end. Um, played first base every day, but because of the history, you want to work them out in a not just a game. You never know, and so we worked them out at nine o'clock on a on a day, and I can't remember what day of the week. And that night, he had a game. He had an eight o'clock game in the playoffs that night, wow. and so. But he came out at nine o'clock, <clears throat> took ground balls, and Jesus Alou was there, Nelly Norm was there, Guadalupe Habalera, um, maybe Louis Alhawa. I, I can't remember if Louis was there. I think somebody else. On Jose Alou's uh, Jesus Alou's staff, yeah. um, in as a Dominican academy for the Red Sox was there, um, but maybe maybe El Hawa. I, I don't. And, I don't and where know. did you work him out? And Kiskea, yeah. yeah. Well, the Estadio Kiskea is for both Escajito and Lasay's team. Okay. It's the home stadium for both. Okay. Yeah. So he got out there though at nine o'clock and did all those things. We had him run to first base, took a ball. You thought you were working out a you know a seventeen year old free agent. Yeah. But he did it and he and he kept every day drive by me honking a horn, wondering why we hadn't signed him yet. Even before that and then after that, once that went through and he looked good, he goes kept honking the horn. Yeah. And so I don't know all the procedure all because they have to handle you know ages and everything. But right. I know that. That we were really interested in, in 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 him because of the player he was from our front office, from Grady, all those guys, and then we uh, we were re even more interested once you know Jesus said, oh yeah, this you know he looked good and and because I couldn't confirm any more than I had said because right. the guy beat me every, every right. time he had a bat in his hand. Well, 
and, and okay, so you know, it was clear to you what kind of hitter David was. Your evaluation of him as a first baseman, based on what these were telling you, your eyes were telling you in game action and then at that workout. Did you need? Did you have some doubt about whether he could play? Absolutely none. None. Okay. None. <laughs> none. none. It, but I'm. I was not. I was an advanced scout at that time. Right. I wasn't the coverage scout. Right. I was a guy that was in the middle. The worst people to evaluate is the manager of a team looking at a guy that's beating him all the time, and then he passes on to the front office. Oh yeah, he's great. Well, I'm only evaluating results. Yeah. I'm not evaluating the tools and the talent at that time. So now you've got to step back. So Theo and Josh, being as intelligent as they are, those people say, let's step back. Let's get Jesus Salou there, scout. Let's get Nellie Norman, scout, who also was my bench coach. Let's get Dave Giles out of the emotion of this guy beating him, saying, of course he's good enough. And so then on that atmosphere, we looked and we were able to pass on more information that came from a different angle that convinced us, wow, we got at bats for a guy that, that projects to be a good play, a really good player but that's it because I remember very clearly in that spring training and it might have been off the record at the time I was a reporter for the globe that Theo told told me that the plan initially was for David to get somewhere between 150 and 200 at bats because you had Giambi as your designated hitter you Millar was in the works coming over to first base. Shouldn't have been off the record, because nothing's off the record. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I can't speak for him. Yeah. But that's that what, shouldn't have been off the record. Yeah. What you're saying is... That was the plan, right? I, yeah. I don't know. Oh, I, I It see. didn't come from okay. my mouth. Right, right. But was it your understanding that I, I, going I, into it's not you mine. weren't privy to those kind of discussions, or...? I was a Vance Scout. Okay. If I, if I, if I knew that, right. it was because... Theo told me, or Grady told me, or something like that. It wasn't because the people that brought it in the room and said, you know, hey, Jeremy Jambi's the DH, Millard's the first baseman, you know, Nomar's the shortstop, Veritex the catcher, right. you know. Yeah. So. Now, several times in the course of this our conversation this morning, you've referred to Ortiz as David. That's his uh, name for me. Okay, and it sounds, coming from your mouth, it sounds like a term of endearment. It is endearment. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your relationship with David over the years. Well, uh... Prior and subsequent. Respect as a man. I was able to talk with him some things, some things even when we had a workout, talking about some things that maybe I observed from the other dugout or from the stands that I thought could make him a better player. And rather than poo-poo me, looked right away and said, "Okay, it'll never happen again, Davey." <laughs> um, he uh, he exudes Dominican baseball. He exuded baseball, no matter if he was playing in in an October game for Escajito or in a World Series. Um, my the first thing he looks at is my family when they come down. He uh, in a and you, you know, had a couple of things. boys who loved oh, baseball, yeah, and, and love your them. wife Billy yes. loved baseball. And, yeah. Um, the uh, one time in a me a dinner that we had in one of the playoff series before playing against either Cleveland or New York or I don't even remember who it was. 
and I was advancing at the time, I'm ready to go out to get the next club. Um, he in front of the entire table bring me over and tell the entire table of John Henry and Lucchino and Theo and Warner and all those guys that he called me from the back of the room and said, this is the man that got me to Boston. And uh, he's, you know, he, he pulls me over wherever I am and it's been since 1997 to this day. Now, Dave, I know you have a game of your own to prepare for uh, today. Uh, a final reflection from you. You mentioned that it's easy after the fact to say, you know, I knew, I knew he was going to be special. Um, how much did he meet your expectations of him, eclipse your expectations of him? And when you think it's now 13 years later, how much uh, does it surprise you, if at all, that he's still performing at such a high level? Um, you, I don't think there's a baseball man that says that things that these players uh, do don't surprise him sometimes because it's it, it's improbable. At the now that it's here, it's believable because of the man and stuff like that. But it's still when it, the, there's so many other things that come involved, injuries, all this type of stuff. Um, for three years in Fenway Park, I saw left-handed hitters like Reggie Jefferson, Troy O'Leary, Mo Vaughn, um, Darren Bragg. I'm going the whole spectrum of guys. Hatterberg, all these guys. I saw them progress so much being in Fenway, being able to use that wall that was kind of an adjustment from what the late 80s were to what the mid-90s and to this day have become hitters, using the middle of the field and stuff like that. David Ortiz didn't have to take a backseat to any of them, even Mo Vaughn. So that's where I thought David would, serve, would, would thrive so much and be the outstanding player he has become. Um, now, I evaluate on a personal note that he's a Hall of Famer. I would not have said that I was calling Theo or Josh or Grady at the time saying, you got a Hall of Famer here. No. But um, it, he didn't have to take a back seat to any of those guys that were left-handed hitters that really improved. And you saw them. You saw Mo Vaughn come into his own. You saw Reggie Jefferson in leading the league for five months as a, in, in, in the American League batting title. You saw Troy O'Leary being designated for assignment for one team, becoming a dominant left-handed hitter. You saw Hatterberg coming to his own. Um, and... Uh, show he took it somewhere else. Um, you saw Darren Bragg hitting 300 on August 15th for one year. Um, you know, left-handed hitters are just, and, and David, throwing BP to David and seeing from the other dugout, he, he was, in, in 99, let alone 2003, let alone 2006, he was, you know, Mo was really good, but those other guys, David was better than him. That was Dave Jouse on David Ortiz. Dave, thank you so much.